Hola, and welcome to Latino Book Chat. I am your host, Christian Meneses Jacobs. We invite you to participate in our conversations with Latino authors, illustrators, and others who share their insights into the book publishing industry. From an early age, Silvia Casabianca already knew she wanted to become a medical doctor, an educator, and a writer. She graduated as a medical doctor in Colombia, has a master's degree in art psychotherapy from Concordia University in Montreal, and has published several books, among them Heart-Minded, Conscious Evolution from Fear to Solidarity, Regaining Body Wisdom, and El Fin de la Enfermedad. In the past two decades, she has combined practice and teaching in medicine, psychotherapy, and education, taking special interest in children's innate capacity to develop empathy emphasizing that it is dependent on a nurturing environment. She has explored the neuroscience of love and its application to parenting and education. Latino Bookshop welcomes Dr. Silvia Casabianca. Thank you for chatting with us today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Chris. Thank you so much. It's been a while since we've talked. Right. I'm excited about you know, your new book. Tell us about how minded. What sure. prompted you to write this book? Well, um, thank you for reading it, first of all. And uh, we, I probably mentioned before that, I, that the books are born, that I just have the need to put in writing some of the things that are going through my mind. I, I have been observing for quite a while what was going on in the world, but particularly in this country with all the polarization and the political divide and I was very concerned about that. But I have a background in education and in a different kind of education that has to do with love and not fear. I think those two ideas combine derive in this book. You asked me before about the, why the name, you know, why is it called Heart-Minded? I read the first version of this book and the name of the book was going to be Love Makes Us Human. And I asked one of my Reiki students to... Uh, make a drawing for the cover. And he came up with a very nice uh, cover that I'm not using for the new version. But this this uh, book um, looked like it was, there were three women working on the brain. And one of the women was very uh, curious and interested and concerned about the vital signs. She was looking at the electroencephalogram and the electrocardiogram. Mm -hmm. The other one was doing some kind of intervention. And the third one was trying to do something very important. She was trying to connect the brain and the heart. And so I think that's why when I finally published the book and not this first draft, I decided to come up with that term of heart-minded to signify that that's one of the things that we need to do because we, we give a lot of privilege to the mind and we um, put um, feelings aside like it is a secondary thing that is not worth it. So I think in, in, in many ways what uh, heart-minded means is that we, we need to be emotionally intelligent uh, to if we want to solve the problems that we have. In your book, you emphasize how humans need to develop empathic skills for our species to survive. So what led you to that conclusion? So what, what I say is um, 
that it, it comes from my interest in neuroscience. I think science and, and all kinds of disciplines. You have anthropo anthropologists and ethnographers and sociologists and all of them who have studied what has happened to humans through centuries. They have seen two tendencies in the evolution of human beings. When human beings strive to find strategies for survival, they can find prosocial strategies or antisocial strategies. For example, the wars. Wars are antisocial strategies. Uh, people are fighting for resources, which is a survival thing, but they, they think that what they need to do is to take the resources from the other, to fight for the resources, to be predominant. There's a very important survival mechanism that's, that has developed through centuries, which is pro-social, which means that we can cooperate to solve problems. I think that that comes from empathy. You cannot, if you don't understand where the other stands, if you cannot connect with the others, if you cannot develop these empathic resources that you, that you have when you're born, then you're not going to be able to cooperate or display any kind of solidarity. And in the United States, I feel that sometimes we're very isolated. We're not really cooperating as a community. And probably the pandemic didn't help either. So what are your thoughts on that? I see two tendencies. One is, yes, no, no, no doubt that the United States is an individualistic country. And when I say individualistic, I am using it from you know, a scientific point of view. This is how this country has been cataloged like as opposed to, I don't know, the kingdom of Bhutan. They are countries that are collectivist. Some of the Latin American countries are quite collectivist, but they have some of the uh, individualistic uh, features also. So there are different kinds of, of possibilities. And I see that the, in the United States, when there's a tragedy, something important happens. People mobilize to help the people who haven't been affected by a disaster. People are display solidarity in those cases. But we live in a system that is moved by greed. And you, you hear everybody concerned about money and making money, and they want their children to be millionaires. So this greed it has taken a preponderance. And you can only be millionaire if the others are poor. So this is based on, so what I want to say is that social injustice is at the root of what is happening. It's a two-way road. With our greed and our individualism, we are creating social injustice, and social injustice also feeds the individualistic state. That's a real problem, you know. It's no secret that we're experiencing many social ills, such as anger, resentment, and hatred. You mentioned in the book that we can solve these social ills with love. How can we do that? I wanted to mention the example of uh, the Semai, the tribe in Indonesia that I mentioned in the book. I was fascinated by the fact that the children there play badminton. Badminton is an English game, but they don't use a net and they don't keep a score. And the reason is they don't play to compete. They play to just for the fun of it. And for us, it's difficult to understand that stance, right? Mm. Why would we... <laughs> not play for the win. And we educate children in the schools to compete. You need to win. You need to be the best. You need to have this award. And we're very concerned about this. But if you look at the world, one of the things that was very interesting to me when I was doing my research 
we we are born with the capacity to be empathetic. We we are born with that capacity. It depends on our genetic makeup, and it also depends on hormonal factors. But it also depends on the environment. So this is an issue of nurture versus nature, you know. But nature is there, and if the environment is not propitious, then you don't develop the empathy that you're born with. Let me add something here, because I think you're going to find this very interesting. Okay. You know, women, women have an interesting capacity to be empathetic, more than men. And one of the reasons is our hormones. So estrogens facilitate the use by the body of a hormone that is called oxytocin. And this hormone uh, binds better to the cells if there's estrogen present. And so women have traditionally played roles Mm -hmm. caring for the children, being teachers, being in, in... Sometimes we don't realize to what extent this is happening. But for example... Women spend more than twice as much time caring for and helping household members. 75% of the workforce in in the health uh, industries are women. Mm -hmm. And 77% of teachers are women. Yeah. And, And we have a special role in this caring and teaching empathy. And still, we're this is not what we're teaching to our children. Because the society makes us raise children in a different way. Nature is, we are born with the capacity, nature is how we raise children, mm-hmm. how do we educate them in schools, what's the environment out there. So we love competition, which mm-hmm. is kind of a, a contradiction. Yeah. So all, all the sports are about competing and winning, and when somebody wins, there's always somebody who, who lost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really enjoy your book, particularly how you explore the concept of love and categorize it at every level of human development. So you demonstrated that humans are hardwired for love. What happens in the process that we turn away from love? There's a guy called Martin Hoffman, researcher, many years ago, in the 70s, I think. He started to notice that children were sensitive to other babies distress very very spontaneously mm-hmm. so that even in the in the nursery that they noticed that one baby was crying other babies started to cry and they thought it was just the noise that they were disturbed by the noise and so they tried to reproduce the sound in a mechanical way very close to um, the, the crying of the baby and they played the sound and the babies didn't react the same <laughs> so hmm. It was interesting because it, it kind of showed that we are, were born with that capacity to feel for others. Mm-hmm. But that's just an affective type of empathy. The other part of, of empathy is cognitive empathy, and this needs to be trained. We have the capacity to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of another person, but we need to have closeness to the, the people who are different to, for us to understand what they are feeling, what they are thinking, how they live. And we are creating very segregated communities. And if we are segregated, we don't get to understand. I am surrounded by people who have different politics, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I walk every day and I kind of chat with them a little bit while we are on the trail. And who cares about what politics we have? Right? It doesn't mind. We are people. 
by listening, then we start understanding. So parents would need to teach children to respect, but also to understand. And, and not to be empathetic only with the people who are from the same group, but precisely with those who are out of the group. So people who are different. So try to understand how they feel, what they think, how they live. And that will make us empathetic. So we need compassionate parenting. Is that something that you have been working on teaching the parents you work with? Very much. Uh, we created a school in Cartagena 30 years ago. And this school was, um, we, we talked about education in love and not in fear. Because when you see schools, one of the things that you see is that everything is based on fear. I have had the experience myself of having a teacher who is all about rules and threatened about taking points from, from my grade. Yeah, I <laughs> remember like <that>. those. <laughs> right. And, and so you, you're working not because you love learning, but mm -hmm. you're working because you need to pass and you need a great, good grade. We created this school where children didn't receive lectures. They didn't have homework. They work at their own pace according to their own interests. And they were not graded. They, there was no, there was no scorecard. There was no, you know, bulletin. Nothing. And uh, I am in contact with many of the children, or not children anymore, but you know, I'm in contact with many of these people who went through the Carpe Diem school, and they are wonderful people. We saw their potential, and they have become successful not in the traditional way. But in the way they, you know, the, the families that they have formed, the, the compassion that they display, the way they resolve conflict. And all of that comes from knowing that respect and empathy are fundamental. Wow, that's interesting. What, what would it be quite a shock for them, you know, get out into the real world where there's so much competition? You know, or they adjust? No, everybody asks us that question. Mm -hmm. And our experience is, it was totally the opposite because they were more resilient because they learned to resolve conflict. It was not conflict. We had a class hmm. that was called a self-knowledge class. In this class was an opportunity for them to see different things. They learned a little bit of, we work on self-awareness. We learn on improving their emotional intelligence. And, uh, and so when they had conflict, we asked them to listen to each other. And, you know, it was very interesting because we trained the parents also. <laughs> oh. the children. Yeah. You know, we wanted the, the parents to understand what this, the, the system that we were using was. And we, we had very long sessions. I mean, it could be a whole day kind of retreat with them. Well, they learned how the school functioned, but also how it felt to live or to work or to study in a school that had a different approach. Sounds very revolutionary. And I wish we probably would have something like this in the U.S. There are experiments here and there. And um, I, I'll, I'll mention a couple. One is in England, a very old school called Summerhill. And mm -hmm. that's what he, the, the guys were trying to do was to, to raise children in that way. And I'll mention the book that got me into education when I was nine years old. And there's a, a book that many people have read. 
Mm-hmm. Probably you're more familiar with uh, Mujercitas, what's the yes. name? The Luisa May Alcott. Mm-hmm. Little women. Uh, little mm-hmm. women. And and there's a sequel, and the, the sequel is Hombrecitos, so mm-hmm. little men. And this book is one of the girls from the first book becomes a teacher and marries a teacher. And they start a school. And I read this book when I was nine. And I say, oh, gosh, in this school, they understand children and let them be, you know. <laughs> and it kind of struck me that they were not directing the kids. They were understanding they were kids and they were doing kids things. It does create a different environment. Now, in the United States, you have, you know, that there's an interest on, um, on social-emotional learning. And mm-hmm. so there's an yes. institute, that institution that is called CASEL, well, you know, CASEL. One of the things that is happening right now is in the Republican um, states, unfortunately, they believe that that's not good for the children. And they believe that that's kind of a communist thing for some reason that I, never, <laughs> I will never understand. But what we're trying to do is to help children not bully each other, mm-hmm. you know. We yes. have, a, we have a, um, I probably mentioned to use the last time that we talked, that we started a project at the Florida Gulf Coast University. And, and this project is called ROCK, uh, Roots yes. of Compassion and Kindness. And, and ROCK, um, oh, I told you about that we want mm-hmm. to do a festival where children will be producing Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we are going to do that. In, in, we have six classes right now, and we're, gonna, we're adding classes for uh, college students to learn uh, empathy, kindness, and compassion. And I'll tell you my research for, I am finishing a doctorate in education, and my research was based on one of the uh, courses there. And, and it was awesome. It was absolutely incredible to see what happened to these already adults, young adults, going through the process of learning from each other and being compassionate with each other. It was a great learning experience for me, for them, for everybody. You mentioned several times in the book that if we don't practice compassion and love, we're going to destroy ourselves and the planet. So what solutions are you proposing to solve this problem? Uh, That's always difficult. You know, I don't have a solution. I think I, of course, believe in love. Right, I believe in love, and uh, I believe that humanity will need to evolve consciously towards a different kind of world. Uh, some of this is happening already because when you see what is happening in Apple and Google and all these digital companies, they have learned to work in groups. They they have teams, right? Yeah. So teamwork has become very important for uh, digital communication. These teams need to put intelligences together you know they need to think together they need to cooperate they need to support each other so something is being born from that i think that uh we need to talk more about emotional intelligence and uh, fortunately you know the concentration in my in my doctorate is on organization and leadership and one of the things that we learn is a lot about diversity equity and inclusion And companies are starting to talk about that a lot. They understand that their success depends on being able to, um, you know, inclusive. And that requires expecting equality. I think the world is turning into a kinder world, even if we don't see it. Because what, what comes to the news is what surprises us, right? 
we, we focus on the wrong things and the bad things that happen because they are striking. And so we are, the news right now are all talking about January 6th, right? Mm-hmm. And we want somebody to be guilty and to be punished. And this is the, the way we think. But on the other side, you have people who are thinking this cannot happen again. So we're learning. We're learning. This cannot happen again. And I think that's the clue. I think the solution is that every time that we have a massacre, every time that kids are bullied in school, etc., we need to think what happened and we need to find solutions. And we will learn little by little. We're already learning. We're already doing that. See social media. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was never so moved by animals as I am right now. <laughs> you know? because, because they are posting all the time, you know, the tiger embraced the cat. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, we are seeing little things in social media that m- move us to compassion. And that's pretty, it's a silly thing. And social media can be very addictive and that's not good. But at the same time, People are in social media because we're recognizing our need to connect. And something is going to come out of there. Yeah, and you're so right. You know, the other day I saw a post on Facebook about a turtle that was turned upside down. And it was struggling to turn the right way. And I, I watched this video And I was amazed that the other turtles around must have felt the distress that this little turtle was on because it couldn't turn. And they all gather around this turtle and turn it on its side. And I thought that was amazing. Right, right. I saw that video, but I saw another one also that also moved me, which was Mm -hmm. a big, enormous turtle in a a beach. Mm -hmm. And there was... um, a couple of men trying to help her and clean her because she was, you know, and she was muddy because she has striving so hard to get on her feet. There is something coming up. This is a silent revolution, if you wish. Yeah. But I'm starting to reconsider our the way we're living, and we need to because we're destroying the planet and we're destroying mm-hmm. each other. And so we need to change that. That's definitely true. And I know you have a surprise for us. You're going to read from your book, your favorite part. We can read a little bit of something. Mm -hmm. The title says, Nurturing Children for Wholeness. And wholeness refers to the heart-minded thing, right? Mm -hmm. Wholeness is we are multidimensional. We have multidimensional bodies, so we want uh, to connect these different dimensions of our beings. And this mentions psychoanalyst Alice Miller, who is one of my favorite authors on in this topic that we're discussing today. And she used the term poisonous pedagogy. I mean, the term poisonous pedagogy is used to criticize a series of parenting practices typical of families and schools where an authoritarian model prevails. Children are repressed, punished, and abused and then told that it is for their own good in an attempt to validate the abusive punishment, contending that the child asked for it. This kind of discipline, its practitioners argue, uh, builds character. Miller explains 
Poisonous pedagogy is a phrase I use to refer to the kind of parenting and education aimed at breaking a child's will and making that child into an obedient subject by means of overt or covert coercion, manipulation, and emotional blackmail. The mistreated and neglected child is completely alone in the darkness of confusion and fear. We need new parenting strategies based on compassion, which is the foundation on which solidarity is built. No, it is not enough to feel we love our children with all our hearts or to fulfill their material needs. Our deeds, not just words, also need to speak on of how we love one another. I think here is where we fail as parents, educators, and society. I guess I will never stop emphasizing that the solution to the problems we experience in the world rests on how we human beings are raised to develop our capacity for empathy and compassion. The road to peace and a better understanding among human beings will never be built on powerless struggles, fear, forcefulness, or threats. Wow, that is a, that's, that is a great excerpt. Why do you choose this one particularly? Because I think it needs to start with education and we need to teach compassionate parenting. We need to have parents reflect on the way they were raised and how it affected them and how they, they even though they, it affected them, they still carry the same method. Only when they reflect on what they are doing, they can transform the way they are raising children. And I think that's where we need to go. The book is Heart-Minded, Conscious Evolution from Fear to Solidarity by Dr. Silvia Casabianca. You can buy a copy through our new online store at nicagal.com, N-I-C-A-G-A-L.com, nicagal.com. You will also find the other books that we have featured on the Latino Book Chat podcast. And please support Latino Book Chat by giving us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Dr. Silvia Casabianca, thank you so much for chatting with us today, my friend, on Please. Latino Book Chat. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Me too. I, and I hope that our listeners uh, get a lot out of it and go and buy your book and learn more about this very important you're, topic. You're doing a great job with these chats. I, I really enjoy that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at latinobookchat.com. Please subscribe on your favorite platform. Whatever you're listening to us today, please give us a positive review and as many stars as possible. Sharing the show will help it grow and continue to come to you. Thank you for your support. Hasta pronto! Latino Book Chat is a production of Nicagal Media. Today's episode was hosted, produced, and edited by Christian Meneses Jacobs. <laughs>